Well, good morning. Wow. Let me try it one more time. Good morning. Oh, that's a lot better. It's good to see you all here this morning, and uh, I think we'll start with a word of prayer before we get into God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for uh, a day that we can come together as your church. We thank you for the worship that we can get our eyes and our mind off of ourselves and onto you. We just pray that that would extend its way through the whole day and our hearts would just be in tune with you. And also, Lord, thank you for your word that the scriptures describe as uh, alive and powerful and sharp and piercing. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And Father, I just pray this morning that you would use your word to um, speak to us in very clear ways. Everybody here is different, and yet we're all the same in a lot of ways, Lord. We have the same concerns and fears. And Lord, for how we're different, just use your word through the Holy Spirit to um, penetrate uh, right us right where we're at. And for those of us who are all the same, do the same thing. And just minister to us, Lord, on an individual way, in, a, in an individual way, so that we can go out here saying, God, talk to me. We love you, Father. We love you for your word, for your son, and for each other. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's great to be here this morning. I was, saw this up here this morning. I thought... Theme verse for today, the Lord is my strength and my shield. Do you think that'll work? Uh, much less laughter out of that joke than I thought there'd be. But uh, If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, or um, it'll be up on the screen behind me. Um, I'd like to share a story with you as I start today uh, that kind of spoke to me. And uh, maybe it'll speak to you. Anyway, the following notice appeared uh, in the window of a coat store in Nottingham, England, which is about 128 miles north of London. And this is what the notice said on the coat store window. We have been established for over 100 years and have been pleasing and displeasing customers ever since. We have made money and lost money, suffered the effects of coal nationalization, coal rationing, government control, and bad payers. We have been cussed and discussed, messed about, lied to, held up, robbed, and swindled. And the only reason we stay in business is to see what happens next. You know, that store owner had something. He, he knew that life was going to have its ups and downs and difficulties and trials and traumas. He knew that. But what turned him on was that he wanted to see what would happen next. And I read that notice and I thought to myself, how much more could the Christian say that? How much with more conviction and confidence can we say we're looking forward to what happens next? Amen? And other than the promise for me anyway, personally, other than the promise that um, God is in control of my life and the life of our nation and in our world, other than that promise, which gives us peace if we meditate on it, other than the promise that God has a plan and a purpose and he's working it all out in his sovereign wisdom, the promise that we're going to talk about today, I think, maybe the most important promise we ever claim out of the scriptures, okay? And this is the reason why. Because of the promise of God to us that we're going to talk about today, okay, enables us, regardless of the difficulties that you and I go through in this life as Christians, enables us to remain, believe it or not, positive and hopeful and encouraged, all of the time. Now, there's a caveat to that. 
You got to meditate on the promise that we're going to talk about. But if you meditate and think about and cogitate and inculcate and any other kind of Kate you want to do, you can literally remain positive and hopeful when you meditate on the promise that we're going to talk about today. Okay? It's a promise that enables us to stay thankful regardless of whatever headaches and pain and stress and hardships and challenges that we're going to face in this life. It's a promise that keeps us energized, believe it or not, regardless of how bad our economy is or what the political landscape is or how awful the world is becoming or when we feel overwhelmed by our responsibilities and our uncertainties or whether we're persecuted or not, even to the point of martyrdom, it enables us to deal with those with confidence and joy. It's a, it's a promise that we're going to talk about today that keeps us encouraged, encouraged regardless of our physical, mental, emotional, or financial challenges that we go through on this earth. And it's a promise that never changes if you're a Christian. Never varies, never wavers, never oscillates, never, never mutates in any way. I hope you're asking by this time what the promise is because that's where we're going this morning. And here's the promise. It's the promise that one day very soon on the cosmic calendar, God is going to share his glory with us for all of eternity. Oh, I love those AMS. It's like strike to an umpire, yeah. It's the promise that one day soon God is going to share his glory with us in heaven for all eternity. And it's the promise that we need to meditate on in these days if we're going to stay positive. So 1 Peter 5 verse 10 gives us the promise and that's where we're going to land today and stay for the most part. 1 Peter 5 10 says, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And as we look at this promise today that God is going to share his glory with us for all of eternity, we're going to answer five questions. Five questions, okay? Number one, what is meant by God's eternal glory? What, what does the Bible mean when it talks about the glory that God's going to share with us? In the Bible, the word glory in relationship with God comes from the Hebrew word kaubaud, kaubaud. And it has basically two meanings. The first meaning is the idea of weight or heaviness, okay? In relation to God, it means the immeasurable weight and magnitude and heaviness of God who is and who God is and all his characteristics, his, let's see, his strength, his infinite strength, his infinite perfection, authority, power, holiness, knowledge, wisdom, presence, love, mercy, compassion, faithfulness, and everything about who God is that's weighty, it's heavy. How many of you remember back in the... I hate to date you, you don't need to raise your hands, the 60s and 70s, where it was kind of cool to say, oh, that's really heavy, man. Anybody dare to raise their hand and say they remember that? Yeah. And if you really knew how to talk then, you'd say, man, that's the bomb. And it was even cooler if your eyelids were at half mass. That's really heavy, man. <laughs> well, that's the same kind of idea, really. It's God is heavy and weighty and awesome in who he is, okay? Now, a second meaning to the word glory that we find in the Bible is coming from the Old Testament is the idea of God's splendor. In other words, it's talking about the brilliant splendor of God's appearance. I mean, all that God is, his moral and spiritual excellence, is manifested as unimaginably brilliant light. Okay, just think you're driving down the road and somebody turns their brights on. You can't see a thing. Or you're, you're in a dark room, someone turns the lights on and, and you have to close your eyes. Or, or think you, you accidentally look right into the sun and all you see is spots. It's so bright. This is throughout the Bible. 
Ezekiel, in the Old Testament, chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, Ezekiel says, High above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. And I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal as if full of fire. And that from there he looked down like fire. He, from there down he looked like fire. And brilliant light surrounded him. He's talking about God. And like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him, God. And this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. Now in the New Testament, we have the same thing. In 1 Timothy 6.16, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light. The apostle Peter and James and John, they were given an opportunity while they were on earth to see this light in the Mount of, on the Mount of Transfiguration. It says in Matthew 17, 2, that Jesus' face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. This accurately describes the light of the glorified Christ that blinded Saul, who later became Paul, on his way to Damascus. And it's similar to the description given in Revelation 1.16 of the glorified Jesus. It says, whose face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. That's what the glory of God is like. And we have the promise of his glory I don't care whether it's COVID or climate change or any kind of conundrum or trial or circumstance that we have. God is glorified. He's full of glory. The whole earth, the scriptures say, is full of his glory. Okay, let's go to the second question. What does it mean that we as Christians have been called to God's eternal glory in Christ? Or Hebrews 2.10 tells us that Jesus is leading many sons to glory. What does that mean to you and I right now? Okay, it means that by God's grace, through no merit of our own, just out of his absolute grace, from eternity past, God in his grace called us to receive the gift of his eternal glory in Christ. It means that because God chose us to be members of his own family through a relationship with Jesus Christ, one of the blessings that we will receive is the very glory of God that we just described from the scriptures. In fact, the moment we believe in Jesus, we're eternally set to receive the glory of God. Does that turn you on this morning? It turns me on. Colossians 3, 4 says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him, where? In glory. Now you have it, this side of this, but nobody responded over there. So, I maybe better try that again. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. glory. That's you, in case you were wondering as a Christian. He actually shares his glory and brilliance with us for all of eternity. Now that doesn't mean we're gonna be God. I didn't say that. We're not gonna become God. We're not gonna be equal with God. But it does mean we're gonna share in the very glory of God. Romans 8 chapter, let's see, verse 17. We may also share in his glory. And then in First Thess or 2 Thessalonians 2.14, he called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and this isn't just New Testament stuff. You go back to Daniel chapter 12, verse two and three. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt, heaven, hell. Those who are wise, who know the Lord Jesus, will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Let's talk about stars. Just for grins and giggles. Capital U, capital Y, Scuti, S-C-U-T-I, is the brightest supergiant star 
currently known, largest known bright supergiant star in our universe. It is, I think I'm going to read this right, there's so many numbers. It is 2 trillion, 378 million, 704,272 kilometers big in diameter. It has a volume of 4 trillion, 982, 600 million, 686,912 times that of our sun. Now, our sun can hold 25,000 planets the size of our Earth. UY Scooty uh, can hold 5 billion suns the size of our sun. Okay? And it is 400,000 times brighter than our sun. Okay, so you probably have to wear your sunglasses if you get too close to it, right? Um, what else about you, Y Scooty? Uh, it is 9,140 light years from our Earth. That one light year is 6 trillion miles, or 9,140 light years is the distance that light can travel going 186,000 miles per second. And guess what? The inspired word of God likens you to that planet. will be like the stars, shine like the brightness of the heavens, like the stars forevermore. Pretty awesome. The wonderful truth is that when we enter into God's family, we become the very children of God, children who will share in his glorious, brilliant, eternal perfection. 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. How, how many people feel a little bit faded by this life? Because you really look faded right to this morning. I feel faded. We've all faded in this life. We'll never fade in that life. Not one bit. At the moment of our salvation, we're, we're spiritually baptized into Christ. The Holy Spirit comes to live in our heart and that's the down payment to eternal glory with God. And it's going to happen soon, relatively speaking, on the cosmic calendar. I'm very excited about it. And we, you should be too. Now the Bible gives us some specific hints of what it will be like to share God's glory in our new resurrection minds and bodies. Okay? The Bible tells us that we will be given bodies that look like Jesus' glorious body. Okay, Philippians 3, 20 and 21, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Yeah. Matthew 13, 43, Jesus says that after the unsaved are judged, the bodies of the righteous, those who know him, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. These glorified resurrection bodies of ours will perfectly reflect the person, character, and power of Jesus. It won't be our own glory, but it will be a reflection of Christ's glory flowing through us for all eternity and wherever we go an authentic, meaningful display of the glory of Christ to all who look at us. You know, today when people look at me, they say, poor guy. Yeah. But in heaven, when you see me, you're going to say, praise Jesus. Right? And the same is for you too. His glory will shine through a perfect, sinless body. In other words, in our new bodies there, which again, you go back to chapter 5, verse 10, this is for all of eternity, okay? That we're going to be filled and reflecting God's glory through our unique personalities. There'll be no physical, mental, emotional, sinful barriers or blockages to the glory of God shining through us. Now think about it. In heaven, all of those will be removed and will be fit to completely receive and reflect the glory of God. 
It's not possible for us right now. And that's, I just got to say this. I think this is really important, you guys. It's not just the physical that's going to be changed. You know what else is going to be changed? Our mental and emotional well-being. All mental and emotional and psychological as well as physical scars will dissolve and disappear forever in our union with God's glory. Yeah. We'll be completely, ref- uh, we'll be f- completely fit to, co- to receive and reflect the glory of God because we'll be in heaven. In fact, John chapter 3, verse 1 through 3 says something really cool. It says, we shall see him, that is Jesus, as he is because we'll be fit to see him as he is. You notice how many face plants there are in the Bible? Whenever someone sees God, what happens? Or they see a manifestation of his glory. Right down into the dirt. Crash. Face plant. Can't handle it. Why? Because we're not fit. We'll be fit then. We won't be going like this, you know. I don't know how it all works, but I'll just quote a verse to you. Um, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what... Uh, we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I always reverse that in my mind when I read it. I don't know what, how it's constructed in the Greek, but if I was writing this, or at least for my own understanding, I would say we shall see him as he is because we're going to be like him, which takes us to the third question. Okay, we talked about what the glory of God is. Unimaginable splendor, brilliance, perfection. Okay, we've talked about what it means for the Christian. Now, why does God do this so many places in the Scripture? I've really had to limit myself to the Scriptures um, that I use this morning, but they're everywhere. Once you start pulling up the floorboards of this subject, they're everywhere. Which, which, again, answers that question. Well, why does God talk about it everywhere? Old and New Testament. And there's a reason why. Because God gives us the promise of his glory to what? Encourage us. And to give us hope in this world that is really going south fast, isn't it? Really fast. Okay. I could get into that, but then I, my head, top of my head would blow off, so I better not do that. But it's going down. Okay. And God gave us this promise of his glory to give us hope and encouragement, regardless of whatever trials or persecutions or problems or fears or disappointments we face in this life, all the way up to and if we face death for being a Christian. I'm not making any predictions. I'm just saying we can have confidence in, even in our last breath. Okay? Would you not agree with me that this world can be pretty discouraging sometimes? I think you would. I mean, just watch an hour of the news tonight. Sometimes things can seem so overwhelming personally throughout our land. But to realize and meditate on the fact, and that's key, that this life and the problems of this world are only a, listen to me, infinitesimal pinprick to all eternity is pretty encouraging. This life is only a atomic particle, a, a tiny prelude to eternal unending glory with God and each other in heaven. And that enables us to keep life's threats and challenges and complications and anxieties in perspective. How many of you, I don't even know if kids do this anymore. Maybe they do it on the playground when school's in session, but um, how many of you ever played leapfrog? Now that idea came to me while I was putting this whole sermon together. You know what uh, God wants, why God gave us the promise of his glory? So we can play leapfrog. So what are you talking about, leapfrog? So we can leap over all of the garbage that we have to deal with in these days 
and look straight into the face of heaven with God forever. Knowing this, knowing why God gives us the promise of his glory, helps us to get over and past all of the worry and uncertainty and anxiety of this life. Okay, and then to add one more thing, it's eternal. It's never going to end or fade. Okay, that's why Paul says in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, hope of glory, hope, encouragement. I mean, these, these readers to Peter's uh, letter were really going through the ringer. They were suffering. Persecution and other things. And they needed encouragement that would last, that would shrink their problems. And again, I want to use that word shrink here for a minute because um, if you do your part and I do my part to think about this, it's interesting because I've done it, not enough, but I've done it, that it, it shrinks down the situation we have on, our, on this earth to manageable and miniature proportions. You say, how can that happen? Because we know what eternity is going to be like. It really does. Now, just to be really clear and, and quick, if you go to f- chapter uh, 5 or 10, our, our, our main scripture here, know what it says. And the God of all grace who called you, thank you, to his eternal glory in Christ comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't want to go to the other place. After you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Now, I do need to say this before we move on, that he does, Peter does give his readers um, a couple other reasons why they can stay encouraged and hopeful in the midst of their trials. Number one is that their trials only have a set amount of time. Notice the phrase here. A little what, everybody? A little while. Hmm, isn't that interesting? For those of you that really, really are going through it in some way or another, whether it's personal, emotional, mental, spiritual, physical, political, uh, whatever it is, God keeps his hand on all the trials of your life so that they don't run longer or deeper than they should. There's a beginning and end to your trials. He's always in control. He's going to restore you when his purpose for those trials is over. And then we come to the purpose of the trials, which is the second thing. It says that four words here, restore, strong, firm, and steadfast. Okay, the second reason we can be encouraged is because our difficulties as a church and as individual Christians accomplish something. They make us mature and strong if we continue to trust the Lord. Restore means to be made perfect or mature, to make us what we ought to be. Suffering means make us strong. Firm means we get, we, it gives us resolve. And ste- suffering or steadfast means we'll be able to stand our ground and not get knocked off balance. And so those are reasons why God uh, encourages us in the midst of our trials. But, I'm going to say this, ultimately, I don't think those two were enough. They're great. It's great to know that God has his hand on how deep and long our trials and struggles are. It's great to know that trials produce spiritual maturity and, and strengthen us, deepen us. But ultimately, they're not enough. We need something that goes beyond this life. And the promise of his glory for us forever is that antidote. Think about what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Well, why? Why do we not lose heart? What's the reason? I'm glad you asked. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. How can we not lose heart when we see what's going on in our world or, or even in our own lives? Because the eternal glory 
of God, that God will give us far outweighs them all. And so, verse 18 says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So our ultimate source of encouragement is that no matter what we go through as Americans, as Christians, as church folk, and personally, no matter what, we as Christians will experience God's eternal glory in Christ. We're told in the Bible some really great specifics here, okay? And I can't, I can't even begin to scratch the surface of this if we're going to get you out of here at any normal length of time. But let me get, give you some of the specifics that um, will encourage you about what's ahead for you. First of all, whatever it means that we will be given, sharing the glory of God, it will cl- completely eclipse any kind of suffering that we have or experience while we're on this earth. Famous verse, we've all heard it, but it's one, you know, it's funny, you know all these verses, and then all of a sudden you start reading them, and all of a sudden all of them have the word glory in it. It's just, well, I'll read it. Romans 8.18, I consider Paul, he had scars all over him when he wrote this, by the way. He was in chains when he wrote this. His, His skin was rubbed red, bleeding, and raw when he wrote this. He had had been slandered and gossiped and betrayed and mistreated and misunderstood when he wrote this. And he says, I consider that our sufferings, present sufferings, are not worth comparing. With what, everybody? The what? The glory that will be revealed in us. Talk about speaking from experience. Paul meant that whatever hurts and pains and disappointments and frustrations and limitations and failures that we have on earth, when we get to heaven, (laughs) gone. Some people say, oh, they'll fade into obscurity or we won't remember all of them. I don't think we'll remember any of them. They'll be swallowed up in the glory of Christ when we live in that perfect environment and when we're in our resurrection bodies. There'll be complete victory, complete productivity in the glory of God. We'll be eternally safe and secure, okay, in all ways. Our potential will be fully developed as we realize that we're in God's glory and we'll serve and worship him and learn about him for all of eternity, okay? You know what I think is going to be really great about, you, you probably, you might want to fight with me on this. If you do, just go talk to Debbie. She'll let you know, you know, what, what you, She'll fight with you. She'll argue with you. No, seriously. You know what I think is going to be really great about heaven? Everything we we do will be successful. Everything that we do, and how can heaven not? Everything we do will be successful. We'll never fail. Do you ever see the word fail or sin? in conjunction with the glory of God in the Bible? No. We'll never fail. 1 Corinthians 15 says, we'll be raised in glory. I'm looking forward to not failing, to succeeding in everything you do and I do. And you know what? That doesn't go just for physical stuff that will get better. Mentally, we'll get better. Okay? And we all have hang-ups, right? We all do, come on. We've all been tweaked one way or another. Let's face it. Mentally, God's divine approval of us will be made absolutely clear. No question. All of the false myths, God doesn't share his glory with people without his approval being made absolutely clear. All of our false misconceptions about God will be instantly blown away in the reality of who he is. And here's another one. You haven't had any fun this morning? No, I'm having a lot of fun. Okay. You haven't any fun this morning? I'll keep asking until you answer the right way. I'm not going to stop. Here's what's really cool, I think, okay, is that all of our difficult why questions will be answered. 
And, you know, some of us have said, and I've heard people say, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to march straight up to God, and I'm going to say, why did this happen while I was on earth? No, you're not. You're going to see God, and you'll understand everything and what purpose he had for it. In fact, you probably won't even care. But you won't ask any more, you won't need any why questions. You'll understand everything. It's a place, because we're given the glory of God, where troubles and tests and trials and traumas, mental, emotional, and physical, are replaced with glory and peace and reigning with Christ. There'll be no temptation there. Satan's in the pit of hell. He's in the lake of fire with all his demons and all the unsaved. We'll never have to practice spiritual warfare again. We'll never get one of those angry or selfish or jealous or gossipy or lustful or whatever thoughts we have and have to say in the name of Jesus, take a hike, Satan. We won't have to do that anymore. Revelation chapter 21 says, he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And uh, time is crunching down on me now, but there's so much. If you want to read about it, go to Revelation chapter 21. Just read it. The Holy Spirit will be in total control of our lives. You know, you know the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit, right? But do you ever notice that you leak? By the end of the day, what happened to that Spirit filling? Looks like a 10-car pileup on I-5, right? But we'll, there will be no leaking. All right? The glory of God will fill heaven and it will fill, fill us. And it will never end. Second Peter chapter 1, again, time constrains me. But it says, it's, I'll just read verse, I believe it's verse 4. We'll have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. How many people lost power this last week? Yeah, quite a bit. What did you think about first? What? The freezer. What about all that meat? What am I going to do? It's going to spoil. Nothing will ever spoil in heaven. It'll have eternal value. And our inheritance won't spoil. And we'll be full of joy and glory. And Paul tells us more specifically that God's glory and his perfection and his splendor will be revealed in us. We'll be connected to him in every way. And by the way, we'll be reconciled with our believing friends and loved ones. You have anybody you're looking forward to seeing? You'll recognize them. You'll embrace them. You'll fellowship with them. Don't worry about that. Debbie and I have talked about that before. Oh, are we going to see each other? I mean, are you going to be on the other side of the street going that way and I'm going this way? Hey, oh, hi. It's good to be married to you for 40, 30, whatever years. Don't think that way. You're going to be with your believing loved ones forever as well as the whole family of God. It will never end. You know, also to this, before I head into our last couple questions, 30 years ago, if I had been asked to preach at Cedar Home, I would not have picked this subject. Why? Because I didn't hurt so much. You know? Do you notice how you get sorer the older you are? You're not laughing. I... This, I, I used to do, I, re, I remember one time, well, never mind. I, I just, I wouldn't have preached this 35, I wouldn't even have thought about it that much. Because I was younger and fitter and healthier and, but I've gotten a lot more sore in the last 30 years. And I'm getting closer to this and I'm looking forward to it. Now, that caused me to think about something. And it's this. What about you young people here today? Do I have any middle schoolers? Anybody in middle school? 
High schoolers, can I see high schoolers? You're not a high, you graduated in 1974, the same year as I did, Let's quit that. <laughs> but you know, think about what this means for kids. Or how about you single adults, or young parents, or parents in general? What does that mean? Well, it means you'll never again face a fear of the future. You'll never fear or face any kind of uncertainty. You'll never have a sense of failure. You will never have an ounce of stress again. Don't stress me out. I'm in the middle of a message, okay? No, I'm kidding. I love amens. And by the way, uh, as I may have said, this will never end. And, and 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 does say, I has not seen nor entered into the heart of man, or I has not seen nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. We really can't totally comprehend this. But isn't that good? It's that much better when you know you can't really comprehend it all. Okay, well, must move on. Last two questions. How should we respond to this as Christians? Kind of with a yawn. Oh, playoff game's on today. OPN's quickly. Got to get home and watch some football. How should we respond to this insane, crazy, cool promise of God's glory for us forever in Christ? Well, don't you think we ought to be grateful? Do you remember what I read in Daniel about some to everlasting shame and contempt and some will shine like the stars in heaven. Why are we going to shine like the stars in heaven? Why do we get that? Who's responsible? Jesus is. We've been chosen by the grace of God. And we ought to, if we can't do them physically, we ought to be doing them mentally. Cartwheels in thanksgiving to God. And, 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 and second, we ought to be hopeful. We ought to be hopeful. Christ in you, Paul says in Colossians 1.27, hope of glory. Hope. That's what the world needs now. Hope. We can be living examples of hope to the world and be filled with hope. And I'll tell you why we can be filled with hope. Because our present salvation guarantees our future glory. So we ought to be grateful and hopeful. Third, we ought to be pure. We shouldn't be, by the grace of God's help, we shouldn't be doing anything on this earth as Christians that we won't be doing in heaven. Okay? We ought to be pure. John tells his readers, all in 1 John 3, 3, all who have this hope in themselves, in them, purify themselves. 1 Thessalonians 2, 12. Live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. We shouldn't have any attitudes, actions, words, or thoughts coursing through our lives that we don't want to take to heaven with us. Now I realize we're imperfect, we're going to blow it, but that should be our goal, to, to be grateful and hopeful and to be pure. And if there's anything that God is speaking to you about this morning, and he's saying, look, you're not going to be able to carry that into my kingdom. That's not worthy of my kingdom then you need to stop with God's help. Number four, be serving. Don't live saved, live called. We've been called to glory. We need to live serving until that glory comes. We need to serve God with our time and our talent and our treasure. Okay? And then number five, be determined. 1 Peter 1.13 says, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Set your hope on it. Be determined. Persevere. Number six, be encouraged. I've already talked about this. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, Romans 8.18, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. The best is yet to come. Amen? This is a pinprick of all eternity. It's a, a tiny prelude 
to everlasting joy and perfection and productivity and, and happiness. And then be courageous. Death is not the end for us. The Gospels say, don't fear the one that, has, that can kill the body. That's Satan. Fear the one that can kill, take the soul and cast it into hell. Death is not the end for us. And then be, be a witness. Be a witness. Paul tells, or Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.10 says, therefore, Paul says, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I want to say this with conviction this morning. Our mandate as the church is to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. I'm not very good at it. I'll admit it. I get tongue-tied, and sometimes I bail out altogether. But let's not forget our mandate. We're going to glory. We need to take as many people with us. And then, if you're counting number 10 or 9 or something, be at peace with other people. I don't know if this is a, something you'll make you happy or sad, but you're going to spend eternity with each other in this church. Did you know that? Look around. You're going to spend forever with each other. So right now, if you've been hurt by someone in this church, then go before God and forgive them in the presence of God by name and offense. You don't need to go to them unless God tells you, but you don't really need to. And if you've hurt somebody verbally or any other way, and I hope the Holy Spirit presses in on your spirit, then you need to go to them and ask them for forgiveness. Now, you don't need to go to the people that God's not leading you to, but if God's leading you to, I hope it's like one of those... What do they call them when you have this fish and then you got this thing that's stuck on the fish? Is that a lamprey? You guys? It's something. Um, I hope, I hope that's, that, that sticks with you. Because did you know Mr. Wright is coming? Did you know that? Your new pastor's coming? I mean, Jesus is coming, but your new pastor's coming. I don't know when, but he is. Let's clean house before he gets here. How about that? Let's, let's, let's take care of each other before that. So he can hit the ground running and doesn't have to work all, all kinds of fallout and nuclear church waste that needs to be cleaned up. Let's forgive those that have hurt us by name and offense. Let's go to those that God is directing us and say, will you forgive me? Because you're going to spend forever with them, and I think God's going to put you in the same house. No, I'm kidding. Um, and then finally, be ready. Jesus says in Luke 12, 35, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Be ready. Could be today. What's that old song? Um, maybe morning. Help me. Old hymn. Maybe morning. Yeah, I know this title, but maybe morning, maybe noon. Maybe evening, maybe soon. He's coming again. All right, last question. I know I preach a long time, don't I? I don't care. <laughs> but how do we get this? How do we obtain this eternal glory? Do you know what just blows my mind, you guys? It's still available. And God wants people to have it. It's still available. It's not too late. I love that. But it starts with realizing some things. And, and, and mainly that we're not fit for God's glory if we don't have Jesus in our life. We're unfit. Now I'm going to blow your mind with a verse. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. The reason Jesus came to this earth is, is to take sinners and transform Port them into a state of glory. And the moment you repent of your sins, turn away and turn to Jesus, and you tell Jesus, thank you for paying the price for my sins on the cross and being buried and on the third day being raised bodily from the grave. Thank you for doing that for me. 
and I want you to be my Lord and save you and I receive you into my life for the forgiveness of my sins, you go from a place of being unfit to fit. And it's still available. And I don't know who's like tuning in online. It could be someone in a foreign country. We don't know. But I'm gonna challenge you. It's still available. And God wants to qualify you for his eternal kingdom. We're told the wages of sin, Romans 6.23, is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And God wants that for you, and he's provided that for you through Jesus Christ. And this is the last thing, honestly, I'm actually going to end here. (sighs) Believer, none of this means anything to you unless you think about it. You can walk out of here in one ear and out the other, and it will do no good for your mental, spiritual, emotional well-being. Your job is to meditate on the fact that very soon you are going to be called to his eternal glory in Christ. Just just go online. What I get when I go to heaven. He'll tell you. Or pop this thing back on and and watch it. Okay? And if you do, if you really do, you will find yourself leapfrogging past all the garbage. And you'll have peace instead of pandemonium, peace instead of self-pity, peace instead of anxiety, and peace instead of pure. Sound like a good deal? Father, thank you so much for these people being so patient was such a long message. Thank you, Lord, for uh, just uh, the promise. I, I think about why me? Why? I can't hardly believe. Why me? Why us? But we get it. Thank you, Father. We go out here just full of gratitude. And thank you for taking us to a place where we don't have to wallow in fear. And that is real. And Lord, we're not so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. We're heavenly minded so we can be earthly good. Thank you for enabling us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.